folks. Just a reminder, be sure and check out the same episode on YouTube so you can look at the diagrams and pictures that go along with this episode here. I know you'll enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Folks, it's JR. Back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. This is going to be episode six, Feudal Attempt. Thought we'd start off a little different this time. Uh, we're going to hear a clip from Russ Aiken describing his shootout inside the house. It's going to come from the, the documentary that was made based on the book. So let's do that first and then we'll get into our statements and what we're going to do today. I went around the back of the building. It was in between two houses and went around the back of the building. There was a door and the door was open. And uh, I went in and when I went in, the first, as soon as I stepped in the door, I could see two, two subjects standing back toward the back part of, of a room. And, uh, and then I heard the shots. Saw him point and heard his shots, and I realized that they had just shot because I saw the police officer. I didn't know who it was. It was Bobby or it was Ray. I saw a police officer's legs from the waist down. Saw his pants, and I knew it was the police officer. And that's when, uh, you know, that's when the shooting started. All right, we're going to do three sets of officer statements in this episode. I think that's all we're going to have time to do. So we're going to start out with Cedric Canada which was uh, Russ Aiken's partner. You recall he was, Russ told him to stay up at the van with the uh, lieutenant and the other officers. And I am gonna tell you that story um, about why Russ told Canada to stay up there and something that Canada's gonna talk about in the statement that's all gonna tie into a, to a tragic story. After that, we're going to do uh, Bubba Colston, and then we're going to do uh, Cliff Woodruff. And that'll probably end it for the day. So uh, let's go on and we'll jump right into uh, Officer Canada's statement. For the record, state your name, Cedric R. Canada. State your shift, precinct, and duty assignment. North Precinct, C-Shift. I was riding car 115. State in detail everything that occurred prior to, during, and after you arrived on the scene at 2239 Shannon. We had the Frazier area and we were routinely stopped talking to an individual out on Range Line Road and we got to call for help. We left immediately. When we got to the scene, I pushed a shotgun release, racked the shotgun put one shell in the chamber. When we got out on the scene, my partner, Russell Aiken, told me, he said, watch your life, and he started running and ran to the rear of the building, and I took a position in the front of the building, slightly northeast behind a telephone pole, and I heard several sharp shots fired. I saw shadows in the front window. I did not fire a shot. For no one to shoot because there was an officer inside. 
I did not shoot my weapon. At that time, the lieutenant, Lieutenant Summers, looked saw me behind the post and told me to take a position east of the building, further east. When you arrived on the scene, how many officers did you see on the scene? I saw approximately five other officers besides myself and my partner. Did you see any other officers at the front of the house? I saw one officer. I saw two officers behind the van parked beside the house. Saw one officer behind a tree in front of the house. There was also another officer behind the squad car that was parked in front of the house. What type weapon were you armed with? I was armed with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson Model 10. Were you armed with any other type weapon? I was also armed with an 870 Remington pump shotgun. What is the MPD number on your shotgun that you are armed with? MPD-254. Is this the shotgun you showed to Sergeant B.O. Wheeler? Yes, it is. When this weapon was examined, it only had two shells. Do you know how many shells your shotgun had when you took it in your possession at roll call? I loaded it with four shells. Can you explain how come there is only two shells in the shotgun? Well, after we backed off the scene, the lieutenant asked a few of us to back off from the scene. Me and another officer, I can't call. Okay, page three. Now, I don't know what happened when they transcribed this recorded statement, but this word telephone doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to assume somewhere there's something that the transcriber left out. Anyways, top of the page, completion of the answer. And what they're talking about is, is they're asking about the shotgun that he had. And we put our shotguns down side by side. When we went to pick it up, he asked me, did I know which one was mine? I said, no, I didn't. He said, well, it's okay because when we turn it in at roll call, you know, both of us will still have a shotgun. Do they assign a particular shotgun to you when you leave your shift? Yes, they do. Do you know if the shotgun you have shown me as a shotgun that they assigned to you? I cannot say for certain. Who checked the shotgun out? My partner, Russell Aiken. When the shooting was taking place, where was your partner, Russell Aiken? When the shooting was taking place, he had ran to the rear of the building. After he ran to the rear of the building, I did not see him after that. Do you know the names of the officers that you saw at the front of the building? I saw Officer Hanscom. I also saw Officer Vidlitz. The other officers, I cannot call them by name. Did you ever see an officer injured? I saw an officer laying behind the van. I don't know his name. He was laying there. Someone said he was injured. I also saw one officer. I don't know his name either. He came running out of the front of the building. Someone said he had been shot and he left the scene going to the hospital. Uh, first thing, let's, let's talk about the shotgun issue. What security squad is trying to figure out is, is they've got a shotgun that's missing two rounds. Typically, a Memphis police officer, at least in that time frame, always carried four rounds in the shotgun. Four in the tube, the chamber was empty. And that was called car ready. Now they've got a shotgun that this rookie officer's got that's only got two rounds in it. And he's claiming he never fired a round. 
course, now he's saying that his shotgun was laid down with somebody else's. Him and another officer didn't know which shotgun was which, and they just happened to pick them up at, at random. What probably happened is, is, not casting any aspersions, but the other officer who was senior, been around for a few years, he's done cranked off two rounds, and for some reason he's not carrying any extra, which most officers would. But he decided to give the shotgun missing two rounds to the poor rookie because he knows the rookie doesn't know what his name is. That's probably what that is. I don't think there's any any big deal to it. The, the I think security squad probably knows he got bamboozled. Now let's talk about this story that I had mentioned earlier where Canada and his statement says that Aiken, before he ran to the back of the house, said, uh, watch your life. Now, Aiken had, of course, the chance, and what Aiken should have done was you have taken his a second officer with him. That would be the safest way. If you were going to go into the house, that way you would have two officers, you'd have two pistols and a shotgun. But let me tell you why Aiken said that, why he said watch your life, and why he wouldn't take his rookie partner with him. Just two weeks prior to this happening, a, another rookie officer out of the same class Canada was in, he was shot and killed. Now, they had been out of the academy for 10 days when this officer was killed. His name was Sykes, Officer Sykes. He was shot and killed. Now, that was Russ Aikens, his rookie partner. Russ was training Sykes. But just so happens... They were having the Christmas party, so Russ took off. So Russ wasn't there the night his rookie training partner was shot and killed. And I believe, and it's it's a common belief, that Russ obviously felt really bad that the officer he's training was shot and killed and he wasn't there because he took off. I think that's why he told Canada, who's out of the same class, watch your life. I do, in, in some regards, I, I do feel for him because I lost a, a partner I trained. He, he had gotten, he was riding on his own. It was probably a few weeks after he started riding on his own. He was killed in the line of duty. And I know I took that really hard. So I can, I do empathize with uh, what Russ Aiken was feeling. In the big picture, it certainly would have been nice if he'd have taken a, another officer inside the house. But, in any event, that's the story behind uh, Aikens' statement and why he wouldn't take his partner with him. What you've got here is an aerial shot. You see the school. You can see 2239 Shannon marked. Negotiators are in the school. They got snipers on the roof. They got attack officers on the houses on both sides, east and west of. 2239 Shannon. Now that mark I've got for the sniper on the south side of the house, correction, the south of the house, the actual house would be one back to the west. It would not be on this picture. That's as close as I can get to putting it there. Just want to give you a little idea of what the, of what the area looked like at the time this was going on. You can see all the vehicles that are parked at the school and 
down Shannon Street in Boxwood. Officer, state your name for the record. C. Coaston. Officer Coaston, are you aware this statement is being taped? Yes, I am. What is your present assignment? Uniform Patrol, North Precinct, Car 122, C Shift. How long have you been employed by the Memphis Police Department? Eight years. Tuesday, January 11, 1983, were you on duty? If so, who was your partner? I was on duty and my partner was C.I. Woodruff. Do you know what officer called for a backup? I believe it was Officer Swill. I will ask you to state in your own words, in detail, everything that occurred after you received this call at 2239 Shannon. When we arrived on the scene, my partner and myself, we went to the residence on, Shannon, on the Shannon address. We were split up at the time. My partner, he did take one of the injured officers to the hospital. That was Officer Turner. I then took the east side of the residence with Lieutenant Rogers at the Shannon address. During that time, we could hear Officer Hester inside the residence. We could hear voices at the time of the male blacks occupying the house were in the rear of the house and during the time while on the scene. I guess approximately 30 minutes, the male blacks inside the house shifted their location. It sounded as they went to the front of the residence on the north side. Approximately 30 or 45 minutes, we also heard one shot from the rear of the residence. Unknown where the shot came from, except it was on the south side of the residence. I maintained that position until we were relieved by the TAC unit. Do you know approximate what time you responded to 2239 Shannon? It was approximately 2100 hours or 9 p.m. Name the officers that were on the scene at the time you arrived. When I arrived at the scene, I did see Officer A.Z. Woods, Officer Vidledge, Lieutenant Rogers, Lieutenant Summers, Officer Aiken, and Captain Randall. I believe that are all the officers that I observed when I first arrived. After arriving on the scene, did you hear any shots? I heard after a period of time when we arrived on the scene, I did hear one shot. It was from the south side of the residence there. Could you tell where this shot came from inside uh, the house or outside the house? It sounded as if it was inside. After the shot, you could hear glass breaking, so it appeared that it was possibly inside. In your statement, you said you could hear Officer Hester from inside the house. Could you repeat anything you heard him say? I could hear him. It sounded like they were kicking him or striking him with an object. I could hear him, him grunt, make making sounds that he was hurting. After arriving on the scene, did you see Officer Turner, if so, describe his condition? When we first arrived on the scene, Officer Turner was standing in front of the residence. He was bleeding from the head. The extent of the injury is unknown. I could see a lot of blood. Did you ever see any of the occupants in the house? No, I didn't. Did you ever hear any of the officers on the scene make a statement in regard to how many people were in the house? From just the radio transmission, it appeared it was two. I know it was two. It sounded like possibly one other person and then the younger person talking on the police radios. It sounded as a male black. Have you ever made a call to the house before? No, I haven't. And any time while on the scene, did you fire your service 
revolver or any other weapon. No, I didn't. All right, at the time the officers are surrounding the house, pretty sure that Bobby Hester was still in the northeast bedroom. In fact, he stayed there a good part of the uh, of the time during the siege. It was only uh, a good deal later that they ended up moving him to the living room. Inside the house, we got seven suspects. You've got Lindbergh Sanders, Michael Coleman, Cassell Harris, David Jordan, Larnell Sanders, which is Lindbergh's son, Earl Thomas, and Andrew Juju Houston. Now, obviously the configuration I've got is not based on any facts or anything from the file. I merely placed the suspects in there so I could put their names and it wouldn't be too confusing as to how many suspects and what their names were. I've added uh, two more names to the um, crime scene diagram of the outside of the house. You see uh, Ed Vidlage, car 121. He's standing behind the oak tree and then his partner, Winky Downing, is uh, over by their squad car, which was parked just to the west of uh, the house. Winky's actually downing is actually going to be the one that uh, helps swill get behind the squad cars when he makes his escape or made his escape officer for the record state your full name clifton i woodruff how long have you been employed by the memphis police department five years what is your present assignment Uniform Patrol North Sea Shift. What car was you riding in tonight? 122. On Tuesday, January 11, 1983, did you have a partner assigned with you? Yes, I did. Would you give his name? C.E. Colston. Officer, on Tuesday, January 11, 1983, did you have occasion to respond to a call at 2239 Shannon? Yes, I did. Do you recall approximately what time this occurred? Approximately 9 o'clock. I will ask you to state in your own words in detail everything that you observed, heard, and what action you took after you arrived on the scene at 2239 Shannon. We were at 744 Royal on a burglar alarm at Pepsi-Cola when 128, I believe it was Officer Swill, came on the air asking for another car. At that time, cars were sent. A few seconds or minutes later, Officer Swill came back on, came back, or at that time, I don't know if it was Swill or which officer came back, and at that time, hollering for help. At that time, we advised the dispatcher we were pulling over. They put us on the call, and we arrived on the scene at Herd and Boxwood. Stopped the car. My partner was the passenger. I was the driver. Cars on the south side of herd that we went behind approaching the house where the officers were calling for assistance. We got to the front of the house. That time Captain Randall advised to move the cars back that were in front of the house 
in other streets. I was on the, I was the driver, and at the time I went back to my car, moved my car, and my partner and I separated at that time. I moved my car up to Boxwood, southbound, got out, and went back towards the scene. As I was going back, I observed Officer Turner being helped by some officers coming back away from the scene towards myself. I noticed he was bleeding heavily about the head, and I assisted those officers with Officer Turner, took him to my car. He stated he wanted to go to the hospital. I took Tommy Turner, put him in the front seat, and he stated he wanted me to drive him to Methodist North, at which time I did. Left southbound on Boxwood and proceeded to take him to the hospital. Did Officer Turner make any statement to you in regards to what occurred after he arrived at 2239 Shannon? He went to the door and he said he had to kick the door to get in. At the time Tommy got in, into the car, he was still almost semi-conscious. He received a pretty good blow to the head. He fell down once as we were taking him to the car and we got into the car and he was trying to say a lot of things of what happened. He told me when he got to the door, the door was shut and the best I recall, he had to kick the door open. When he did, he saw what looked like a blue pants leg laying on the floor. He couldn't tell if it was a policeman or who laying on the front, in the front room, correction, on the front room. And he also observed a male back run across the back inside the house with a pistol. At the time, he said he had his pistol in his hand and the male black came out. He started to fire and he was struck over the head from the side. At that time, he went down. His gun hand was also hit and he said when his gun hand was struck, his thumb hit the cylinder release and his cylinder came open. He pulled his weapon back up and the cartridges had fallen out of it. He fell back out on the front porch. This is, was all happening quick, he said. He fell back out on the front porch, reloaded. He said during that time he had passed out for a short time. He said he don't know how long, but he doesn't think it was long. He reloaded before he could get back in. I think that is when I believe he said somebody pulled him off the porch and I'm not quite sure what happened then. He just kept talking about when he first went in and he got knocked out, out the front door. After you and your partner arrived on the scene, did you hear any shots being fired? No, sir. What on the scene, did you ever hear any shots? No, sir. Did you fire your pistol at any time or any other kind of weapon? No, sir. Have you ever made a call at that house before? Not that I can recall. Now that answer is, is regarding the question, had he ever made a call to that house? Do you know anything about any of the people that were in there to your personal knowledge? No, sir. Did you ever see any of the occupants in the house? Never. If you would, state the names of the officers that you know who was on the scene after you arrived. Myself, my partner, C.E. Coaston, we were all crouching down behind one another. 
I saw, I can hardly think right now, there's so many faces out there, a lot of officers from other precincts. I can't recall their names from the east and the west. I knew some of them were new. I couldn't even tell who they were. Captain Randall was there and Lieutenant Rogers. Did Officer Turner advise you that he had fired his pistol? He stated he pulled it out, but he didn't get it. He didn't get to get a shot off because the cylinder was open and the ammunition fell out. And that is when he got struck in the head. And then they hit him in the hand, whoever it was, and knocked his pistol open. He had his thumb on it. He reloaded, but he never fired a shot, he said. Do you know what type call the original call was to 2239 Shannon? I don't recall hearing it from the dispatcher. Officer Turner advised me that it was a suspicious person call. That is all he remembers. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Not really for sure why on these statements they keep asking these other officers what kind of call that 128 was on. If they want to know what kind of call they're on, they can just go up there and listen to the tape. I just, there's questions sometimes they're asking and they're, they're just, they make no sense to ask other officers some of these questions about the kind of call it was, or even asking them who was calling for help. It, whether, they, whether you know who's calling for help or not is, is immaterial. Is somebody called for help, so. They can pull the tape and listen to it and tell. They can go interview Ray Swill and find out. Anyways, all right. We actually kept this one under 30 minutes, so I'm doing really good now. Okay, next week, next week, probably in a few days, we'll hit the next one. We'll probably be done with the officer statements, probably two or three more episodes. We may get done with them. And from there, we'll, I don't know if we'll go straight into the TAC officer statements or we'll do um, some of the negotiations. I guess if we were going to do it in chronological order, we would do the negotiators before we did the TAC unit. So we'll just play it by ear and wing it and see what we come up with. But folks, I appreciate y'all tuning in. And don't forget, folks, you get a chance check out the this episode here on YouTube. Also, if you get over on YouTube, click on the link. Get a chance. You can buy a copy of my book that this series came from. My book was written based on the case file that you're listening to now. It's also a documentary. Anyways, folks, I appreciate you, and I'll see you down the road.